0: If you would turn in your Bibles to the book of Luke, it says uh, page 1031, I'm not sure for which passage that is, but it is for the first, okay. Luke 9, we're going to start at verse 51. and then jump over to chapter 19. Straight to verse 37. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. I remember when I was in college, I stayed one weekend with a roommate up in Ontario. I remember when uh, I got to the house, um, was getting ready to to go to bed. The bed I was invited to sleep in that weekend, I remember it wasn't made, and you could tell the sheets were dirty. And I remember his mom saying to me, well, we knew you were only going to be here for a couple days, so we thought, why change the sheets? We're just going to have to change them again when you leave. Do you think I felt like the honored guest? (laughs) Or, or like maybe I was imposing on them that weekend. What's it like in your house when company's going to come over and have dinner, dinner with you? You know, I think if, if they're close to us, close friends, we don't worry so much about how the house looks because they know us. But I think when we don't know those who are coming over quite as well, or maybe family who's uh, coming from out of town, and we want things to be just right, and so then we'll go out of our ways and, to make things uh, nice. I can remember growing up, I don't know, I might have told you this before, but one thing my mom always wanted clean every time company came over was a shower. And that used to drive us crazy. Why do we have to clean the shower? Anyone coming over for, for dinner, they're not going to even look at the shower. But no, we had to clean that shower. And I remember one time getting sarcastic you know, to my parents and saying, well, how many times has any of those who, that you have invited over for dinner ever asked before they left, I really got to take a shower before I go. Do you mind? No one's ever said that to you. So why do we have to clean the shower? Because I said so. It was one of those occasions. But needless to say, I never made my kids clean the shower when guests came over. I mention this because today as we celebrate Jesus entering into Jerusalem, I think we see people rolling out the red carpet for Jesus, treating him as the honored guest. Sadly, as we saw in our responsive reading just before, it it didn't last very long. While they were praising and and welcoming Jesus on, on Palm Sunday, Yet we know that in just five days, they would be screaming the words, crucify him, crucify him. You know, I wish it were different today. You know, we come this morning and we can say right along with those early disciples, Hosanna, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And I know when we say it, we mean it. But what do we mean by that? What does it mean that Jesus was the coming king? What kingdom had he come to bring? Why was Israel so excited to see Jesus riding into Jerusalem on that donkey? I think we know the answer to that. It's because the people were seeing the fulfillment of prophecy. The only problem was they came to the wrong conclusion about that prophecy. They thought it was going to mean one thing when actually it, it meant something completely different. Listen to Zechariah's words in, in Zechariah 9, starting at verse 9. This, is, this would be a prophecy that the people knew. I mean, they knew their Old Testament. They knew what was written. And, and so you can just imagine how excited they were when they saw Jesus. "'Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion! Shout, daughter of Jerusalem! See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation!' gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the full of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle, battle bow, bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will be extended from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Because the disciples figured that Jesus needed a little help getting this whole thing going, I think, That's part of the reason why they're the ones who are shouting that that Jesus was the king. Hosanna, blessed is he, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. I'm sure they were making that very clear. And as the people heard them chanting that, I'm sure the crowds got excited. Because they figured that Jesus was the promised Messiah that they had been looking forward to, that they thought was going to establish a kingdom here on, on earth. But we also know that the, the, the Pharisees, they, they, they told Jesus to silence your, your disciples because you don't want that getting out. If the Romans hear about this, they're going to think there's insurrection here. They're, they're, they're going to come in with the soldiers and, and put down a, a revolt that they think maybe is starting and you can't do this. See, they saw Jesus as a threat. Not only how the Romans might oppose him, but Jesus was also a threat to them because they threatened their very power, their very position. Despite all the sermons and teachings of Jesus, clearly the disciples, the people, they they still don't understand who Jesus is. I mean, the people were right to apply Zechariah's prophecy to Jesus. It's just that the conclusion they made from that prophecy They were off base. They didn't realize that Jesus' kingdom was not of this earth. Like I said, I think Christians, even today, we we still struggle with that idea of what the kingdom of God is all about. And the reason I say that is because if we fully understood what the kingdom was, if we fully understood our role in the kingdom, I, I, I think we might live our Christian lives maybe a little bit different. We've all been called to be prophet, priest, and king, to follow after Jesus. Prophet, priests, and kings and queens, I should say. We're children of of God. And, And we shouldn't be content with the position that our world has given us because we're agents of the kingdom. We've been given the power of the kingdom to live our lives and that should empower us, that should excite us, that should make us bold as we go out into the world. Though Jesus talked about the kingdom, people couldn't hear him because those preconceived ideas that, that they had in their heads. I can remember one time when we were living in New Mexico, I was getting firewood on this mesa with my, my kids. And my daughter and I, we started to go for a walk to see if we could find some dead trees. I remember I got a little too far away from the truck, and especially this area it 's just thick cedar trees and pinyon, and, and after a while i didn 't know which way which way I was going the noon the The, the sun was straight up, so that wasn 't any help it hadn 't rained for a month, so there wasn 't any moss on the, on the trees that I could detect. The only thing that there was was the wind, and I knew what direction that wind was coming but Because I had convinced myself that north was south and south was north, even the wind, I didn't believe it. The only way I got my bearing was I, I eventually climbed a tree, and once I got up high enough and could see where exactly I was, I saw the mistake I was making. But I was so convicted or convinced that I was headed in the right direction when really I was going in the opposite direction. And I think we see that same thing going on here. And I think God's people still can easily get confused like that. That's why it's so important that we stay connected in the word, that we become men and women of prayer, that we walk with Jesus because it's so easy to get lost. The world is proclaiming this message all the time, and we have to sift it, that message of the world, with with God's word. To see what the real truth is. In addition to proclaiming his kingship by riding on that donkey. Which was the fulfillment of scripture. Listen to some of the other prophecies that are told about Jesus. That shows he's the fulfillment. Micah 5.2. Foretold that he would be born in Bethlehem. He would be the ruler of Israel whose origin was from of old, from the ancient of days? Or what about all the prophecies that said Jesus would be of the line of David? Or all the prophecies about Jesus needing to suffer and eventually die? Matthew in his gospel records Jesus saying 33 times that the kingdom of heaven is near. 33 times, and when there's repetition like that, we know it's for a point. Another time when Jesus was talking to the Pharisees in Luke 17, verse 21, he told them that the kingdom of God is within you. Not that the kingdom really was in the Pharisees at that time, but it could be if they surrendered their lives to Jesus. Later when Pilate asked him if he was king of the Jews, Jesus replied, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews, but my kingdom is from another place. And finally, when Jesus ascended into heaven, you might remember what he said about his kingdom and the power of his kingdom. Matthew 28, All authority in heaven and earth have been given to me, my kingdom, and now I offer it to you. Go in my name and make disciples. Proclaim the good news about me. Scripture is clear that the way to enter the kingdom of God is through Jesus, through his death and resurrection. Can you imagine how different the story would be if, if on this day that Jesus came into Jerusalem, he would have said, you know what? That is too much for me to endure. That is too much to bear. I can't imagine going to the cross. I'm, I'm just going to make my kingdom here on earth. you imagine how different things would be for us? Where would our hope be? Our dream of heaven, of what awaits us. I know that passage in Revelation 7, verse 9, it would really there just be describing a hope, not reality, of what's to come. And I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the thrones and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. We're, seeing a, we're, we're catching a glimpse there of what it's like in heaven, of what we're going to one day see. And that idea of the palm branches, it's, it's the same idea as what, we're, what the kids helped us see this morning. It's laying them down for Jesus to walk on. It's laying out the red carpet. It's acknowledging that he is the king of our lives. He is our Lord. What do those white robes signify in Revelation 7? Our righteousness, being washed by the blood of the Lamb. Just that image of those palm branches. It again just... I think, tells us something incredible about the king, our king who is about to come. This is what Jesus shared with his disciples. Listen to verse 22 of chapter 9. Jesus here is talking about his upcoming death. He says, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and he must be killed so that on the third day he might be, he might be raised again. Then a little later, verse 44, Listen carefully to what I'm about to say to you. The Son of Man is going to be betrayed into the hands of men. They didn't understand. Our passage, that passage says because it was hidden from them. And because they didn't understand how this fit into Jesus' plan to establish his, his kingdom, we see in verse 51 that they, they failed to understand why Jesus had to go to Jerusalem. Well, they thought it was to establish his kingdom, to oppose the Romans. It was actually to suffer and die and to establish a heavenly kingdom that's fully in heaven and it's partially here. And that's why we talk about it being the already and the not yet. The kingdom of God is here, but it's not here yet in its fullness. It'll come when Jesus comes again. You can also see the disciples Uh, confusion about Jesus' kingship and the way that James and John, the way they react to that report about the Samaritans. What do they immediately want to do to what they perceived as Jesus' enemies, to those who are opposing Jesus, not providing a place for him to stay the night? They want to pray that fire will come down from heaven. Maybe kind of like Elijah. See, that's... When you're thinking earthly kingdom, that's how you handle an earthly kingdom, through might and power, through authority. And so they thought it was only natural that they would ask Jesus this. I'm sure Jesus was like, you don't get it yet. You just don't understand that my kingdom is not of this earth. And so he rebukes them, our passage says. Despite Jesus describing for his disciples what was about to happen, they, they just couldn't wrap their minds around it. Again, they just had convinced themselves of, convinced themselves of, of what was going to happen and, and nothing could change it. And without a Savior, they were condemned in their sins. Without a Savior, if Jesus didn't go to the, the cross... They were condemned in their sins. See, they were worried about an enemy called Rome. What they really needed to worry about was their Father in heaven. Because he could be their enemy if they were unwilling to deal with their sin through Jesus. But they could be sons and daughters of the King if they asked Christ to be their Lord and Savior. Why would Jesus be willing to go to the cross? Why would he be willing to suffer and die and go through all that agony? Clearly it's out of his love for you and me. That's why he set his face toward Jerusalem. Out of love, he was willing to do this so that he could be our Savior. I'm sure Jesus would have loved to have walked down a different road. I'm sure he would have loved to have been part of a community who knows, maybe have a wife and kids. I'm sure you would have loved it, not having to suffer. But he was willing to lay aside all those things in order to be our Savior, in order to go to the cross and die there and rise again three days later as a victorious king. This is why he repeatedly told his disciples and the people, Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. Through Jesus, the kingdom has come. And This brings me to my third point. As agents of the kingdom, we need to learn that Jesus' journey to Jerusalem is our journey as well. Jesus' journey to Jerusalem, it's our journey as well. Just as Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem, we need to be willing to do that here as we live our lives. Not literally. Find out where Jerusalem is and put our face toward it. But I think symbolically, we've got to be willing, just like Jesus did, to be willing to lay down our lives and to pick up our cross and follow Jesus, to sacrifice our desires and plans in order to share the good news with those around us, to walk in the footprints of Jesus. You know when it comes to suffering and sacrifice it's tempting to think well you know Jesus he went through all that so we don't have to suffer so our lives can be can be easy we think that means our lives that, that means because of what Christ accomplished we're 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 free to go to the head of the line we're free to skip all those trials that people have to go through here on earth he bore our shame so that we might be esteemed. He, he brought the kingdom and paid for our entrance so that we can enjoy its rewards and, and its blessings. So that's what we're tempted to think. That's not what Jesus said. He said, you've got to be willing to pick up your cross and follow me. Listen to Luke 9, verse 23. If a man or woman would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. I mean, in our text, why would... Actually, this, if you read just a little bit further, it talks about how there was three disciples would-be disciples at least, who who wanted to follow Jesus. And and, and Jesus almost sounds kind of negative. I mean, here's three people who are excited about following after Jesus, and Jesus says, well, yeah, but if you follow me, you won't have any place to lay your head, because I don't have a home here on earth. Why was he being negative? I think... Not that he was being so negative, but he was trying to help them see the reality of what it means to follow him. Again, it's about the cross. It's about picking it up and being willing to suffer and sacrifice in order to be the hands and feet of Jesus. When Jesus set his face on Jerusalem, He did that out of his love for you and me, and and we need to be willing to do the same for those around us, for those who are hurting, for those who are lost, for those who are broken, for the poor, for those who are facing all kinds of injustice. I can remember when Arla and I were in South Africa some years back. I never saw such poverty in all my life. I can remember we went to a school one day And all the windows were broken out of the school. There was no desks. The kids all had bare feet. And yet these classrooms were crowded, 30, 40 people in each classroom, just with one teacher. And because it rained that day, the rain was rushing all around the school, and it was rushing through the school, through the classrooms. And the kids were just sweeping it out like it was no problem. This is what they dealt with. I also remember a town that had to have gone on at least a mile. One metal-sided little shack with a tarp over it after another, all connected to each other, sharing walls. went on for a mile. The street, you couldn't even call it a street, it was a little path. And then there was another row and it just went on forever. South Africa talks about how they've gotten rid of racism. They haven't got it, gotten rid of it yet. It's alive and well there. It's just that people don't talk about it much. See, and as Christians, we can't be silent about things like that. Just as we can't be silent about things that we see here happening all around us. We have to speak up. Because we too have set our faces toward Jerusalem. We're following in the footsteps of Jesus. And he's calling us to live lives of, of sacrifice, of obedience. You know, with all the needs and suffering out in the world, as disciples of Jesus, how can, how can we ignore it? How can we continue to wear blinders and, and, and just go about our lives and go to church without doing something about it, getting involved. And when I say that, I mean not only physically, but I think spiritually, praying, lifting them up before the throne of God. You know, if our, if our security is in the things of this world, It's going to be hard to follow Jesus. It will. When your security and trust is in Jesus, it's then you you can become agents of the kingdom. But if you're living for the things of this world, you're going to surround yourself with the things of this world, which will encourage you to take your focus off where it really needs to belong. We are agents of the kingdom. And we're called to spread the flavor of the kingdom. Wherever you go, even when you go to town, you go to the co-op, you go to the bank, you're spreading the flavor of the kingdom. You may not think so, but you are. And so what do people see when they look at you? What do people hear when they hear you talk? And do you ever share your testimony with those around you and tell them who Jesus is and what he's done for you? That's one of the most powerful things that we have, our testimony. It should be something that we all use as agents of the kingdom. God has blessed you so that you might be a blessing to others. And so we need to ask ourselves, how are you allowing those blessings to flow through you? Don't hold on to them, don't hang on to them, because when we do that, and God withholds his blessings from us but when we're when we're willing to allow ourselves to be a blessing to others just as God has blessed us that's when things really begin to happen that's when a church grows it's when God's people become alive how are you building bridges to the hurting to the broken to the hungry to those who are literally dying to hear the good news about Jesus. This morning, Christ is calling us to walk on a different road. And so may our lives tell a different story, a, a story about a radical love named Jesus, about the Lamb of God who had come to take away the sins of the world. To a love this amazing, how will you respond? Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your word. Lord, forgive us when we forget why we're here, what you've called us to. Thank you, Jesus, for being our example. Not only, Lord, for all that you accomplished on the cross, but also, Lord, for being an example of of what it means to live our lives for you. Open Open our eyes, Lord, to see the needs around us, May we love, love others enough, Lord, to, to be involved. To be the hands and feet of Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.